Logan, the car is distracting you. It was loud. They're very loud. They were blasting their woofers. We're at the Bitcoin Commons here in Austin, Texas, on the corner of Sixth and Congress. It is pretty bumping out there on this Monday afternoon. We had a hell of a conversation today with Kelly Lannett, second time on the show. Going to try and make it more frequent moving forward. It's been uh, it's been two years since he was last on. For those of you that forget, Kelly is the Bitcoin urbanism guy. It's in the real estate market. He understands what's going on. Crazy in that market right now. Figured I'd have him on to talk about it, plus some cool Bitcoin stuff. So I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I have to apologize. I have not been reading the boostograms in the beginning of the episode, so I got to go back three episodes. Rip 400. We're going to win against broken money and broken culture with at Sovereign Bra. At Mav21 boosted us 25,000 sats. Awesome talk. Thank you, Mav. At Mongo, 1,000 sats. Great podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Mongo. At BTC or nothing, 21M. Did you hear that? Did that come through? I, I did hear that. Uh, my bad. We will win. Fire emoji, fire emoji. And at Blizza, B-L-I-Z-Z-A-H, 200 sats. Boost. Thank you for the boost, Blizza. Excuse me. Rip 399. Bitcoin mining is igniting an engineering renaissance with Reet and Isaac from Cathedra. You freaks are loving that rip. At Blockchain Bug, 5,000 sats. Y'all nerded out on this one. Ha ha ha. Crazy to hear guys self-teach themselves grabbing demo textbooks to solve real-world problems. Thank you, Blockchain Bug. At Renick, 777 sats. Great episode. Having a home dryer that mines Bitcoin would be fucking awesome. Sometimes I also think about using a fridge cooling system to mine without fans. Imagine a single-chip ASIC attached to most of the daily used electronics. How about that decentralization of the network? I agree, Renick. We need to put ASIC hashing boards on on as many applications as possible. At Cantillion Air, 500 sats, absolutely fascinating rip. I agree, Cantillion Air was fascinating. And last but not least, we have three sats from Rip 398 with Amjad Massad, Replit, AI, and Bitcoin. Blockchain bug, 5,000 sats, nice tight rip. I tried Replit and the app is very confusing one day hope to get good enough to earn some side income doing bounties go check it out again blockchain bug they're getting better every day at krsh 2000 sats will be easier to reach common grounds with the general ai than it is with a politician would not be surprised cannot say for sure though at user 11663294271841 a great episode great content thanks so much and keep building fire emoji fire emoji fire emoji thank you freaks for contributing to tftc via podcasting 2.0 enabled apps if you don't know what that is the podfather adam carey has iterated on his version of podcasting 1.0 he created podcasting 2.0 which allows you to put a lightning network address in your rss feed so when I send my podcast out, it has that Lightning Network address in the feed. And anybody listening on apps like Fountain, Breeze, Podverse, Echo, I think you can do it via Albi now. If you're using Albi Wallet and browser extension, uh, you can contribute sats. You can stream sats or boost sats, which is what we just read. Participating in the value for value model. Thank you guys for participating. If you are getting value out of these conversations and you want to send it back and you don't like listening to the ads, we would like to transition to this model. And so the more you boost, the quicker we get there. This rip was brought to you 
And with that being said, this trip is brought to you by our great friends at River. River's here to provide you a Bitcoin company. I always want to say exchange, but it's much more than that. It's a Bitcoin company built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. And exchange is just one aspect of this company. Uh, if you buy Bitcoin on River, you know that your Bitcoin is held in custody in a multi-sig wallet with 100% reserves behind it. They advocate that you send it to self-custody. They have literature to teach you how to do that. But if you do hold it on Rivers Exchange, you can know for certain that it's in a multi-sig wallet with 100% reserves. They don't leverage third parties like Prime Trust or anything else. They build it all themselves, the wallet, the exchange. Uh, you can send and receive Lightning via River as well. Uh, they're on the cutting edge because they're Bitcoin focused. So they're building out of the lightning functionalities. Uh, and if you DCA, if you dollar cost average via River, you're not going to pay any fees on those purchases. On top of that, they have River Lightning Services, which is an API. If you want to build apps on the lightning network, you can leverage River's lightning services API to build those apps. So you might have your Bitcoin exchange. It's time to transition to a Bitcoin company, River. Go to river.com slash TFTC. Use the ref link. And after you buy a certain amount of Bitcoin, you're going to get some Bitcoin back. River.com slash TFTC. This trip is also brought to you by good friends down the hall, Unchained Capital. Unchained is here to do many things, mainly help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. This plays out with their Vault product, which is a two or three multi-sig in which you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. Since you have those two keys, you have full control over your Bitcoin. It's a beautiful thing. If you're ever in a pinch and need Unchained to be the second in a two or three multi-sig quorum, they are there, the second signature in that quorum. Uh, they have a white glove concierge service. It's going to take you from zero to having this vault set up. They're going to get you wallets. They're going to get you comfortable with everything. Go to unchained.com slash consultation and check it out. Tell them the TFTC sent you get $50 off that consultation service. They also have a new inheritance protocol that they released. Uh, they have their IRA. They have their loan desk. Uh, Unchained Capital. Leveraging multi-sig to bring you the financial products you need as a Bitcoiner. I sent a transaction from my vault today. Work flawlessly. This trip is also brought to you by friends of CrowdHealth, who are here to help you bring sovereignty back to your healthcare cost. Uh, health insurance is notoriously opaque, expensive, and very impersonal. CrowdHealth is here to change that. It is not health insurance. Uh, it is crowdfunded healthcare. You pay a monthly fee. It goes to a dedicated bank account. If you ever uh, are in a situation where you have to pay a medical bill, you go to the doctor. You get the bill. You get it to CrowdHealth. They go to the doctor, they negotiate the price lower, and they help you get a lower healthcare cost, number one. Number two, you pay the first $500 of the bill, that's it. Then it gets crowdfunded by the rest of the crowd health community. About 100% of bills paid to date. Me and my family are using crowd health. We're extremely happy. Uh, we know that we're in a community of other healthy individuals, so that lowers the overall healthcare cost for the community, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, and also, they have a Bitcoin community, so after a certain amount of building your dollar account up, uh, you will begin to not only put dollars in your account, but you'll stack Bitcoin alongside that as well. So go to jointcrowdhealth.com slash TFTC, use the code TFTC on sign up and get $99, $99 a month for the first six months of your membership. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin Talent Co., who is here to bridge the gap between talent and companies looking for good talent in the Bitcoin space. Uh, Bitcoin is extremely scarce, but maybe the only thing that's scarcer than Bitcoin on this planet right now is Bitcoin talent, people that actually understand the different parts of the stack, whether it be protocol level, multi-sig, what is Taproot, what is RapSegwit, what is Lightning Network, what are Fediments. Bitcoin Talent Co., 
is a recruiting agency built by Bitcoiners who understand all these intricacies and therefore can go find you the talent that you need and can vet whether or not they understand as well. So if you're a company looking to hire the best talent in the space, go to bitcointalent.co, sign up, tell them the TFTC sent you. They'll cater a, a recruiting track for your company. They'll find, they'll work with you to discover your pressing needs and make sure that they go find exactly what you need. Alternatively, if you're in the tech sector, the banking sector, marketing, whatever it may be, and you're one of those Bitcoiners working in an industry you don't want to work in, you want to work in Bitcoin, maybe you don't have a Bitcoin community in your area, so you haven't been able to meet any Bitcoiners to get inside the industry, Bitcoin Talent Co. is here for you as well. Reach out to them. Tell them the TFTC sent you. Go get talent or go get a job in the Bitcoin space. We need you. We need you. We have we have a whole Bitcoin standard to build out. Stop wasting your time at the banks, at the traditional tech firms, at your marketing agency. Come work with Bitcoin companies. BitcoinTalent.co. Tell them TFTC sent you and enjoy this rip with Kelly Lannan. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Mr. Lannon, with the good flow, how are we doing? Ah, uh, Mr. Ben, I am very good. I am happy to be back. Flow is intact and ready to go. Well, I'm very happy that you're back too. I hit you up well, a couple weeks ago. I forget if we talked about it on RHR, but obviously there's a lot of noise around the real estate markets right now. The Fed is raising rates. That is affecting mortgage rates, which is affecting the ability to move houses in the U.S. housing market. Uh, it seems a bit chaotic. I figured, hey, I need to pull in Kelly to help me get a better understanding of what's going on in this market. But before we get into like the current state, the first time you were on the show, gosh, it had to be like a year and a half, almost two years ago now. Yeah, I think it was two years ago. It was right after I had published a, an essay about public bathrooms and I made a couple jokes that got some attention, so... Glad to be back, though. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you back again. But that first conversation, not only did we talk about like Bitcoin urbanism, and just how messed up the coding, zoning, excuse me, the zoning laws are and how it perturbs, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, urbanism, urban design. Yeah. That's what I was looking for, well, the phrase. I guess natural, natural development in the built environment. So yes. instead of instead of um, I guess the built environment being a reflection of an ecology being, you know, the humans live in an urban space. And therefore, since we're animals, we would create our own ecology that it's essentially top down telling you where you can put things. Um, so I am officially the head of the hating Central Planners United uh, <laughs> organization, and I am proud to be uh, in that position. So. Uh, but yeah, some of my favorite quote tweets. This is your, this is your world on central planning. Yeah. La laughs in central planning and, uh, 
just oh, it's it's rough out there. I actually there's there's actually a lot of good news on that front. Um, smaller cities, larger cities, even some states are starting to uh, ban single family uh, zoning. I mean, they're not in places that you would expect. Uh, I believe Minnesota is one, Oregon is one, but you would think that places like Texas or Arizona, which has stronger uh, property rights, would be leading that charge. But it's actually it's actually not, which is quite interesting. Um, but another big one is eliminating parking minimums because that's that's like the bane of urban existence, so to speak. Yeah, Austin seems to be a pretty unpleasant urban existence now as the city's seems to be outgrowing its infrastructure. They're putting up a bunch of phallic buildings here in the middle of the city and getting to work is a big pain in the ass. Yeah. Well, they do, uh, they're, they call them podiums. So they're, they're glass office buildings on top of like 20 levels of parking. Uh, most people don't know the mo- one of the most expensive things to do when you're building a building or really doing anything is digging up dirt. So when you're excavating to build a parking garage, you know, that can, basically double the cost per parking space just to dig a hole in the ground. So um, people who avoid it, avoid it. But when you're walking around like downtown Austin, like you, you see it, there's 20 levels of parking and then the office building is built on top of that. So, and to your point about exacerbated infrastructure, it's like, yeah, you know, when you have these boom and bus, you, you model parking or transit or, cars based on the current formulas right or the current knowledge but if you build you know if you build the equivalent of five thousand new parking spaces for buildings where you know those five thousand cars got to go somewhere and you know uh, typically cities are always playing catch up in order to make that happen because you know construction takes time all this planning takes time and it has to be approved reviewed you know everybody likes to think that their house will just pop up in six months it's like that's true. I'll build it in six months, but all the re- all the work required before that takes years, from like permitting and actually acquiring the sure. supplies so, needed. Yeah, I mean, not so much acquiring the supplies needed it hasn't been as bad as it was before. Like, it, like it, up to I guess you could say the end of 2022. 2020 through twenty twenty two was absolutely awful for procuring anything. I guess uh, the, the easiest way to describe it is you could buy something like we were buying. A good example is uh, shower bypass doors. So instead of stepping over a tub or um, having like uh, curtains for a shower, you know, you have like a glass door. We ordered all of this stuff for one of our projects and not one of the sets matched the color of the other set. Now, keep in mind, we ordered like champagne bronze, which is kind of like it looks like gold. But none of them matched. There was no piece that matched. So you're getting stuff where there's no quality control because they're just getting it out the door, and then you're just you're you're literally just stuck with it because there's no there's nowhere else to go. So, yeah. well, that uh, but, that was uh, one of the things I wanted to leave with because last time you were on, you were talking about just how terrible the supply chains were. So they've uh, they've improved a bit, but the quality control has gone down. Well, uh, quality control has come back up. Um, I say it's probably standard now, but I mean, it's still hard to get stuff. I think there was enough complaints about like, don't, don't ship me crap that it stopped. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall it is getting a little easier to find everything. I mean, lumber is down. I just saw a stat lumber's down almost 70% from the high 
Um, so you measure lumber in thousand board feet and it got up to like 1735, I think it was. And now it's down to 365. That's good. So, That's good at least. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good, but it's also, you know, a forward indicator, I guess, you know, for what we're going to talk about, it's a forward indicator of like what's going on in the business. So, you know, when lumber shoots from where it is now, all the way up to over 1700 back down to where it is, it's like, okay, hold on. Now, like trees take time to grow and you have all the manufacturing process that goes into that. And then like when I order it or when everybody orders all at once, price goes through the roof, right? But, you know, like a typical supplier, like you ramp up production or you ramp up new inventory in order to meet demand thinking that that's going to be going forward. So now, you know, I don't want to say everybody's left holding the bag, but, uh, there's uh, there's definitely like we had leftover lumber. There's lots of people who are trying to renegotiate contracts that are not having a fun time right now. So, yeah, locked it in at a higher price. It's finally time to deliver, and they're like, um, actually, I'd like to pay less for this. But yes, yes. Jump into like the current state of the market as it pertains like mortgage rates, commercial real estate. Like I mentioned, Austin has a shit ton of new construction going on with high rises in the middle of the city. Facebook was a lead anchor tenant in one of these buildings and they pulled out uh, late last year. Um, So they're still building that building and their anchor tenant, one of the largest corporations in the world said, actually we're not going to buy or rent that, that real estate anymore. Rates are high. Mortgage rates are high. You have people like Blackstone defaulting, on uh, commercial real estate uh, funds that they have uh, or bonds that was last week. But before that, late last year, they prevented some of their investors and one of their breeds from, uh, not one of their investors, they had to pause redemptions on that breed fund, particularly, uh, I believe BlackRock had uh, a similar problem. Like it seems that the Fed stepping in and raising rates as quickly uh, and as aggressively as they have over the last year, year and a half, is really throwing a wrench in real estate markets, both residential and commercial. What are, what are you seeing on your end? Uh, you are absolutely right. So I guess the, the easiest way to think about it is tying back in timelines into real estate development. So you buy a piece of land, you have to get entitled. That means, you know, you go to your city and make sure that I'm allowed to build, you know, uh, an apartment complex, 50 units, or, you know, I can build like a drive through uh, Dutch Brothers, right? So there's a whole process associated with that. And that could take, you know, if you have to rezone something, that could take, you know, depending on your market, 12 to 18 months. So you're looking at a piece of property, let's say it's November 2021, uh, the day before Jay Powell announces that he's going to take, you know, rates to the moon. So You've got your signed LOI, you know, or let's say you're even further along, you have a purchase contract and you are in escrow. So the clock is ticking and you need to figure out if you can get done what you need to get done. So that takes you 12 to 18 months and you're here right now. Mortgage rates are 7% or the Fed funds rate is just under five. I think it's like, what's the range? Like four and a half to seven. It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so. The Fed funds rate has what tripled since then, and now you're looking at your model and you're like, "Holy cow! Like, does this math even work? You know, do we need to uh, think about syndicating this, or do we need to restructure all of our finances for 
you know, or not our finances, our model for a long-term hold. Like, how do we do this? Now, don't get me wrong. There's still development happening all across the country. It's just not as much. So when you're jacking up rates that fast, instead of, let's say, you know, 25 bips every two months, you know, this gets in, in real estate that's like spinning on a dime. You know, moving in a year is spinning on a dime. Or trying to get new entitlement is just almost, I mean, the, the amount of brain damage that it would be to try and get, let's say, more product in order to make a piece of land work in today's environment, like you just, you just wouldn't do it. So things are definitely slowing down. People are holding on to whatever their property is, whether it's commercial or residential. Like if people own homes, I have a bunch of buddies that own homes over, or excuse me, under 3% mortgage rates. And they're just like, A, where am I going to go? And B, why on earth would I sell when I've got, I have a buddy who works at a bank. He's got a two and a quarter, 30 year mortgage, two and a quarter percent, 30 year mortgage. So, you know, these people are never going anywhere. And then the commercial guys, as long as they can hold their debt through this period and refinance, they're like, well, you know, I got seven years to figure it out or I got 10 years or 15 years, whatever it is. So there's definitely a lot of pencil sharpening going on. But at the same time, if you are in a position where you've owned something, or you bought something two years ago, then you're probably just going to sit on your hands. Would you do new deals? Not nearly as much. Um, so a lot of the brokers that I've talked to, you know, their their traffic or their their deal flow has dropped seventy five to ninety percent, but there's still stuff coming through the door. Uh, but I guess, you know, when you think about it, or if you're you know you're listening, you're thinking about it, it sounds like oh wow that's crazy. It's like no, the real thing, the real crazy part is how crazy things were the last two years up till now, like absolutely bonkers. So we are below you know what normal activity would be, especially for um, like single family homes or apartments, not so much. We're probably right around the baseline. Commercial developments definitely slowed down, uh, at least in the research I've done and the buddies and stuff that I've talked to in the, in the market. So, so there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain that's happening, but at the same time, there's a lot of people just sitting on their hands. So there's not a whole, I wouldn't say there's a happy medium. It's definitely a no man's land. The bid ask spread is huge and just people aren't doing anything. Well, that that's, I think that's my big question is like, how, how long do people do a subset of the market of, of people who own homes and have these low rate mortgages locked in? Like, especially if you consider like the layoffs that have been going on, in the tech sector, like, is there the potential that we're just in the eye of the volatility storm in real estate where at some point, maybe later this year, next year, we'll reach a point where so many people have been taken out of the job market and they don't have the ability to service their mortgage or forced to sell their home. They got it in 2020, 2021, when the money printer was on, they thought it was going to keep going forever. Uh, that has obviously changed and it's affecting the job market now. Do you see that being a catalyst for some uh, s that spread in the bid ask getting compressed lower? Um, in that regard, not necessarily. Now, I do see, I do see, let's say a lot of the tech sector are responsible for uh, the work from home, basically flight from cities. So, um, if you're in San Francisco, you left for Idaho or Montana or some of these other places, 
and you know you just lost your high floating job um now are you going to try and sell or are you going to try and get a new work from home job like sure but if you're if you're not able to do that then you've got to move back to where all the action's happening so some of these people may take losses on their homes trying to get out um it kind of just depends now you have to remember these people are moving from very expensive areas to very I don't want to say like cheap. That's not the right word, but relatively it's cheap. Relatively cheap compared to them. So they're, and this is very true in Arizona, where like eighty-five percent of the buyers coming from out of state are putting down huge amounts of cash for their down payment. So their loan to values are way lower than you know what a normal loan might be for the average person in the average town in these areas. So can they take a hit and move back? Maybe sure, but. What's kind of going on, especially in the in the um, single family residential market, is that it's kind of creeping down slowly. So um, it may be nationally like one or two one one or one to two percent a month, but that's kind of just everybody ignoring the fact that they really need to move or they really need to do something, right? So they're like, "Well, I'll sell it, but I don't I don't need to take a huge haircut." Um, there is some of that now will like tech people moving out of their homes and selling it, bring down comps in the neighborhood. Like, absolutely. Is that going to affect everybody else? No, not necessarily. If everybody else starts losing their jobs and they get foreclosed out, like you better believe it. But I, from the data that I've seen and that I've reading, it's not, it's not as large of a subset as you would think. Um, and that the quantities are still so small relative to all the other homeowners that have purchased, especially, you know, with sub, we'll just say sub 4% rates that, um, they're more likely to just be one offs than, than, you know, affecting the whole market to bring everything down. Now, will there be like concentrated neighborhoods where stuff like that happens? Like, sure. But, um, I, from what I've reading and what I think, I don't think it's enough to, to take the whole ship down with it. So, um, but like I said, it, it's kind of too extreme. There's there's a lot of people that are very happy with what they were able to get as far as refinancing homes and sit you know sit in their home forever. And then there's lots of people that you know maybe got a mortgage in the fours or the fives that are kind of like okay, well, if home prices keep coming down, you know one percent a month or whatever, and after two three years, which we would be, I guess we'd only be about six to eight months into the first like leg of the downturn, so to speak, but. You know, it's 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 out there, but it's not as big of a concern for especially a lot of the research that I've seen. Uh, so what you're saying is, is like. It's it's worse out there for people trying to buy new homes for the first time right now, obviously. Oh, cause the rates oh yeah. Are so so high. new new home new home buyers are just totally screwed. Like if you're if you're so I'm I'm 35. So if you're younger, essentially 35 or younger, um, the first of all, if you're a millennial, 35% or younger, there's one in four of us that still live at home with mom and dad. So think about that. That's almost 20 million people, right? So, you know, what are they doing? They're still at home. They're not paying rent or they're paying rent to mom and dad, whatever it is. And they still don't have, even, even with that subsidized, you know, I guess rent, so to speak, they're still not able to save up enough or do they make enough? 
in order to afford a home at 7% rates. So I think they're like 6.95 right now. But, you know, I was looking at some of the uh, the matrices that people have put together of, you know, what what's a 3% rate versus a 7% rate do for A, your down payments, B, your monthly payments, which is really what's most important. And in some cases, it's double the payment than it was two years ago. A lot of times it's between 50 and 75% more. So if you had, you know, if you could qualify for a $2,000 a month, uh, mortgage two years ago, that same mortgage is now three thousand dollars. So a fifty percent increase in the cost, of, uh, you know, just shelter alone. It's like, oh, okay. Well, not everybody's rethinking this. You know, cancellation rates in Q four or through Q four, at least in the Southwest, which is basically Phoenix and Vegas, was forty five percent. So almost half of every contract that these home builders had for home canceled. So what yeah. does that mean? I mean, if you're a home builder, you have certain things that you can do. You can offer incentives. You can buy down uh, the buyer's mortgage rate. So you can essentially write a check to lower it from, let's say, 5 to 4%, just, just spitballing, you know, to help, to help out the buyer. The buyer buys the house at the price that you want. You move inventory. Everybody's happy, right? So there's games that can be played. Um, and I don't want to, it, games is not like a negative term. It's just like, there's things that you can do to help the buyers offer incentives and to sell a home. That now, comes out of your top side, line, right? Yes, it does. So it becomes like a rational calculation. How much do we want to pay to sell this house? You know, to get it off the inventory, either we get our money back, we make less on margin, you know, that's fine. It, it is what it is. A lot of these guys are thinking that, you know, it's a redux of, uh, 2008 or the great financial crisis, which not necessarily so uh, for different reasons, but, you know, they're they're all kind of like looking around. And I, I heard it described on the podcast as clearing the decks, which is probably pretty accurate. Um, you know, starts are uh, when I was reading the, the home builder stats for Central Phoenix, starts were down like 35 percent um, from last January through last December. So uh there's 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 a lot of people pumping the brakes and trying to prevent new. Basically, they aren't starting new homes is what it's coming down to. They have all sorts of inventory. As soon as you pour a slab to start a home, like you don't stop. You finish it and you go from there. So, Oof. but Marty, if you if you are if you have the ability, like right now, if you know if you've been renting or saving cash or whatever, you know I I would not I would sit on your hands because there's there's a lot of people thinking that. You know, this one to two percent drop in home prices, you know, that's happening every month is going to turn into like five or ten real quick. Now, it's not like doom and gloom. It's just that, OK, so now there's some people that have to sell and they are going to get aggressive about it. Or there's uh, investors that need to sell and they're going to get aggressive about it. You know, one of the one of those groups is like the short term renters, the Airbnb folks. I can't tell you. It's almost a running joke in Scottsdale about how many. Airbnbs, some of these realtors have. Some of them are 15 to 20, right? And these are Super the people, Bowl is just here. These are the people you see on TikTok investors teaching yes. you how to, how to run a real estate portfolio. Yeah, the, the, guy, the guy's making videos where it sounds like a Ponzi scheme where you could take equity out of your, your new rental property and roll it into that property. And then, you know, from property B to property C to property D. Yeah, th- those guys. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, it's it's as somebody who has not purchased a home yet would like to buy. 
a home and some land. It's like that, that's the mentality I've sort of adopted over the last six months. It's like, all right, something's got to happen here. Like rates are too high. Uh, inflation still relatively high. Yes, it's falling on a month to month basis, but that lower CPI print is working off a higher base from last year when it was double digit inflation. Like it, it seems like there's some turbulence on the horizon. Again, it just goes into something we discussed in the first time you were on the show, which is like the boom bust cycles that exist, particularly in, in real estate. And it seems like, like what you're mentioning there is like no, or new starts are, are beginning to, uh, beginning to dry up all throughout the country. Like what I'm trying to get at is like, how do we just throw a wrench in this boom bus cycle? Like is J Jay Powell going to start pivoting at some point towards the end of this year, maybe next year. And then, all right, floodgates open, start building again. Like how do we stop this? This well, cycle. Marty, I'm, I'm glad you asked. There's this technology called Bitcoin, okay? <laughs> and we, we get rid of all of these people making all of these decisions for everybody else when it comes to the price of risk. Uh, you know, I as far as it goes, yeah, the – so Lynn Alden had the tweet, I don't know, I think it was in December, basically saying that the average spread between the 10-year and, and the uh, uh, 30-year mortgage is about 300 basis points, so about 3%. So like right now we're topping out or we had topped out about three and a half. And now the expectations or basically the, the inflation misses that have happened in like the last month, you know, 30 year rates have rocked back up from just under six to just under seven. So it's a lot, you can reprice assets a lot faster than like you could build assets, right? So we're in this position now where home building starts are cut in half and declining to the position where even if, you know, they pivot in two weeks because, you know, the wind blows a different direction, like whatever the reason is, you know, then then we're back in the same position that we were. We had no supply and we have all this demand, especially now we have all this demand that's been waiting around for over a year because rates are up. And then we haven't built anything for the last year. So you get back into the same problem we had where prices went up, you know, 30 to 40 percent, depending on where you are and only you know, a certain number of people can afford them anyways. So if you're, if you're a first time home buyer, like, you know, you would think that like, I don't own a house, but I don't own a house. I, I've been doing this for too long. I don't mind renting, you know, I'm sitting around, I'd rather stack Bitcoin than uh, equity in a home. But, um, you know, if you haven't built any new inventory, where are all these people going to go? Where are, the, where are the 20 million millennials that live with their parents going to go? What yeah. about all the Gen Xers? What about all these other people that want to get out of, California, for instance. So, um, I think personally, uh, rates will start coming down definitely by the end of the year. There's too many, there's too many small indicators that are basically just flying all over the place. You know, costs are dropping fast and lumber, which is a forward looking deal. Uh, even, you know, I like to, everybody, everybody has like a heuristic, right? Where they talk to a neighbor or they have a family member or something where they're like, you know, this just doesn't seem right when everything is, you know, you definitely know everything's wonky or like when everything's crazy, they're like, Hey, have you ever heard of, you know, ripple? Ethereum? It's like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> ripple, whatever. And it's like, okay, here we go. Now, now we're at the top. I got to start putting, you know, 
guarding myself. But I, I was talking to, um, I, I don't want to rat him out, we'll say a family friend. And he was kind of like, he's not financially inclined. He doesn't know anything about Bitcoin. But he was just like, you know, Kelly, it's so weird that I, they say everything's great. And these top line numbers like CPI and unemployment are getting better and all this stuff. Because, But then I just look around and all of these small things I notice are just getting absolutely worse. And I'm like, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's all, it's, it's not, it's, it's like the, the shiny object syndrome, right? They want you to look at a big shiny object, but don't look at all of the small things that are going wrong. And it's, it's a very Keynesian fiat thinking to think that like all of these other inputs, like they matter, they play into the larger inputs. And depending on, you know, how you want to cook the books, if you're, uh, you know, at the Bureau of Labor, it just, you know, you can make these numbers look how you want, but I'm inclined to talk to my heuristics and uh, see what what's going on. Um, so I think that they're going to be forced to, to lower rates. I think eventually, you know, all of these small things breaking, you know, are going to you know finally break something big to get enough attention to be like, OK, and then what are they going to do? They're going to take rates down 100 bips per meeting and we're going to be back to zero you know before you know it i just so hard to predict though it is you're like you said hopefully more and more people become uh, attuned to this great technology called bitcoin where we don't have to worry about the whims of jpal and crew and just organize economy around a protocol that is very predictable but going back to the heuristics that your family friend was talking about like what are some of the uh, examples that he was pointing out. I, it's, I mean, it's basically, it was one of them was going uh, shopping at the grocery store and uh, basically like the hardware store. And it was, it's so much that like, you know, eggs are up, beef is up. Some things are down a little bit, but it's more about everything's a little bit harder to get. So like in the state of Arizona, raw milk is like legal. You can just go buy it. So uh, I'm a big fan and I buy, you know, just like a half gallon whenever it's available, but it hasn't been available in almost three weeks. So now I know that when it becomes available, whoever else has seen it, like me, is buying two or three, right? So then the shelves go empty again. So then the expectation of, you know, it should I should I buy this now or is it, am I going to have to wait another month? Um, and with him, it was like he he does a lot of stuff around the house. He's a little bit older, and. Um, he was like, you know, I, I go to the, the Ace Hardware or wherever and, you know, the th some things are more expensive, definitely. But it's not just that. It's more expensive and I get less less of the items. So, like, if he's buying wall hangers, right, instead of getting 15 per pack, maybe he's getting 10, but the price still went up 20%. Well, that's actually not a 20% increase because you got a third of the quantity for 20% more, right? So, that's a huge price increase. And... You know, it's, it's basically, he was just saying, it's like the, it's like the little things. Like you just normally wouldn't really think about it. It's harder to do things. You go places, everybody, you know, is a little angrier or little, little spicy, you know, everybody, everybody's kind of thrown in this giant pressure cooker. You know, it's like the frog in the pot. Everybody's thrown in this giant pressure cooker and it slowly gets turned up by inflation. And there's no real like precipice that anybody can put their finger on but you know you just kind of you, you just kind of feel it and that's how that's how this guy was kind of trying to explain it which you know that's i'm trying to relay how he felt but 
Um, I would even say it in my own life, like buying things, it's, you know, getting fewer for more and the quality is definitely just not the same. You know, it's just inflation is just nasty. Completely agree. Like going out to dinner. Yeah. It's shocking now. Like, like cost per head at a meal is probably like, we're like a couple years ago, it was like 50 bucks. It was like, ah, this is a little steep. Now it's like 70, 80 bucks, sometimes a hundred bucks, depending on where you go. If you want to get a bottle of wine or something like that, you go out, you swipe your card. You're like, what the fuck did I just do? Like, I just spent. Yeah, I, a hundred percent. I was, uh, uh, my girlfriend and I went to dinner for, you know, Valentine's day or whatever. And, um, we went to like a nicer place. We were expecting to spend like a hundred bucks and, you know, a hundred bucks a head or whatever. And that was like, the only sit down and we're like, holy shit. Like what, what, like, I didn't look this up online. Did you look this up online? She's like, no. We're like, oh, oh man. Get the bill comes around and we're like, okay. So that was a very nice dinner. That was a very nice dinner. We're going to have to, uh, sit out for a month or two on, uh, this kind of thing. But it's just like, you know, I, I do, um, I line up like for, I, you know, run my own business self-employed. So I line item all my own meals and entertainment expenses. And even my accountant was like, Kelly, what are you doing? It's like, I, I didn't do anything. I reduced the quantity of times I went out by almost 20%. And my cost per head, just like you said, I think it went up like 48%. And I was like, okay, well, that's my goodness. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything significantly different than I, than I have in the past. And, um, it just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And like you said, like the BLS, the Fed, the federal government, they game all these numbers. Cause that's, that's like something I've been paying a closer attention to, particularly with like the CPI printer where he's like, up oh, inflation's on its way back down towards 2%. Maybe it doesn't get there. Maybe it hovers around four, but it's like, it's not actually like 6.8 or whatever the recent prints are. And then you're actually seeing Many people don't catch this because they do their adjustments like a couple months after, but they readjusted November and December CPI print higher. <laughs> like, they are just like, oh, by the way, like back in November, December, those numbers were a little lower. Uh, let's adjust them higher. But even the, the higher adjustment does not yeah. factor in what we're describing. It's like, I believe my lion eyes. Like I'm going to the restaurant and I'm paying 50% more than I was this time last year or two years ago. Yeah. It's I very mean, even, visible. Even if you... Even if you look at uh, the shadow stats, you know, the shadow stats calculator where it uses the 1980-based CPI before before they took, you know, a hatchet and just absolutely obliterated that formula. Like, it's it was running in the teens. It may still be in the teens. I, I forgot to check. But it was running in the teens, like, all last year. And it's like, yeah, that 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 about feels right to me. Like, my, my expenses are ch- changing 10 to 20%. Like, ah. Yeah, and there's other little heuristics too. Like I see, you know, I see it on Twitter every once in a while, like people who are driving for Uber eats or DoorDash mm-hmm. or driving Uber, like they're getting visibly angry, like on these videos on TikTok or whatever saying like really getting pissed off at people for not tipping enough. Like they're expecting people on top of the ride to like tip significantly because they think that people should know they're not making that much money. Um, which is like, I like first seven, eight years I used Uber. Like never even thought about tipping. I thought it was like baked in and every mm-hmm. thought every Uber driver was happy with what they were making. And now you're seeing that, that type of gig economy worker getting really stressed. 
Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of gig economy and the Fed and the BLS, it's like, you know, every they say everything's fine and employment, uh, unemployment is like sub 4%, but they keep forgetting to bring up the fact that like the quantity of people who now have two or three jobs, whether part-time or, you know, gigs is up something like what, like 50 or 60%. So all of these people who are having a hard time making ends meet, all they're doing is working more. And what, like nobody thinks to mention that, like, you know, it's not, obviously it doesn't, it doesn't promote their narrative. They have no incentive to tell anybody this, but it's like you, when you look at the, the numbers of quantity of people working more and more jobs, it's like, you know what, you, you can all, you can only work so much. Like even, even if you were, you know, a wall street banker working 80 to hundred hours a week for 10 years, like I, there's lots of guys that crack, you know, even, even, you know, developers that I know have worked hours like that. And after like 10 or 15 years, like it just, they just fall. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah. You, and yeah, and you can, in the older that you get, especially if you're a senior citizen, think about being a senior citizen right now and seeing M2 go up. Uh, what was 2021? It went up like 28%. Like, how are you going to work yourself out of that one? Like you really can't. I think, uh, I can't remember who who posted it, but like the average four hundred one k balance is like a hundred grand. So <laughs> that's not going to last anybody. No, any amount no. of time. No, not not when you're what your average M two increase in the last like twenty years is like just over eight percent, something like that. It's like, dude, we are all in trouble. Yeah, and like bring it back to real estate. I saw a crazy stat on Twitter the other week that made me laugh not out of like jeer but pure like holy shit this is insane it was like if the average millennial making a median salary wanted to save up enough to put 10 percent down on a mortgage they'd have to save 10 percent of their paycheck for 10 years <laughs> like just for a 10 percent down payment with the rates going up like, yep. I, and I can't even believe that statistic as you look at the median income, it's like $41,000 after taxes and all your other disposable income expenses. Like it, it, it seems like that, even that 10% for 10 years for 10% down payment it is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and you know, when you, when you compound, when you compound that with the student debt that millennials have, it's like, you know, the, the debt slavery is a real thing. So if, if prices are going up or they, let's say that like they have the last three years, they go up 40% and uh, interest rates then start cranking up. Now you're at 7% and you've got to put down, uh, you know, your 10%. So you're, let's say the average, the average price is like half a million bucks. It's, it's like 470, but, for easy math. So you got to put down 50 grand just to, just to start. Right. And, uh, your mortgage payment is going to be probably about, I think it was like 3000 bucks a month. So if you already only had $40,000 left after everything and you have, you know, normal working job and all this other stuff, that's $36,000, right? That's your, that would be your mortgage payment for the year. So what about like clothes and food and, you know, a beer with Marty 
after the pod, something like that. Like what, you know, like what, where do these things come? Like, how does it happen? It doesn't happen. It's just like, it's just simple math. And you know, it's, it's no wonder. Like all, I think like the zoomers doom post on TikTok about like living in the shed in their parents' yard forever. And it's like, yeah, buddy, like hate to tell you, but that's kind of uh, where things are trending. It's not fun, you know? And as a developer, it just, it just drives me absolutely nuts. So like, you know, what, what, like what I want to do, I want to build things in the built environment. I want to make homes or build or offices or whatever it is, commercial space, residential space, uh, retail space, all of that stuff. Like that stuff interests me, but like, I want to provide that service. That's the value that I provide in my profession. But it's like, you know, I'm hamstrung by a like rates, B central planning garbage from various places. But, you know, how, how does a guy like me help somebody like that? You know, I want to build like a good quality product that'll last for 30, 40 years so that people like that can find use in it, find value and they're willing to pay me. Like that's, that's a legitimate, as far as I'm concerned, that's a legitimate use of my time. But, you know, how, how do you do that? How do you do that right now? Um, I was talking to, uh, I was talking with my dad last week and he's been doing this for 35 years. So he describes this area or this essentially this point in time in the cycle is like no man's land, right? So you look at all the new deals that come across your desk, you model them out, how much, you know, what, what would you have to pay an investor? Um, what's it going to cost you to borrow the money? All, you know, all just all these basic things you throw into the model and you're just looking around and you're like, man, something's got to give because nobody's going to do anything with this. Like construction prices definitely have to come down because they went up so high. But even even land prices need to come down. So we're we're still at the we're still in the phase where it's like nobody's really accepting reality or believing that things need to change to the downside, right? So they still think that their land's worth what it was worth, you know, a year ago, or that you know they can definitely grind down their subs to save ten or fifteen percent on the budget. But it's like. You know, a lot of times the subs, you know, if you ask or when you ask them, you know, for a haircut to take off, you know, 5% of the top, you know, they'll send you their, their, uh, their materials quotes. And they're just like, where you show, you show me where on this piece of paper that you see 5% fluff and it just doesn't exist. So, you know, basically costs got to come down, mortgage rates or, uh, fed funds rates got to come down. Uh, mortgage rates definitely have to come down just for activity in general. So even if you wanted to buy a home, there's there's just not a whole lot of inventory that is in demand. So now this is in my mind where things get really scary because uh, again, like we've been mentioning, even though CPI is lower, like we believe our lion eyes, we're going eating dinner, we're buying stuff at hardware store, getting less for more money. Uh, it's very obvious to me that inflation is out of control, even though it's not being reported accurately. And this is something I've I've read a thread about over the weekend and discussed on Rabbit Hole Recap last week and a show that we posted this morning. But it seems like we're in the beginning of that hyperinflation stage where you can easily see a situation where everything that we've been describing as it pertains to the real estate market, commercial, retail, retail construction of that market seems to be pointing like things, uh, rates need to come down 
to like stoke this market. And what I worry about is that when they inevitably do come down, who knows when later this year, next year, 2025, who knows, but like the fed is not going to have inflation under control and they're going to be lowering rates and printing and just exacerbating that problem, which is a very scary proposition to, to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I think a good, a good thing to mention too, is that like, you know, inflation isn't always just, it's a, it's the quantity, the increase in quantity supply of money. But right. When you start breaking things, there is no amount of money that can make jump, you know, excuse me, that can make lumber arrive to my job site. Right. So if, if things start breaking fundamentally because inflation makes it not worth anybody's time, let's say that, you know, a uh, low margin item that I need for a house is, you know, like my plumbing fixtures. Right. And if it becomes just too expensive from a base materials point of view to put something together to make a faucet and then try to sell that faucet, then you're going to stop selling faucets. Right. And then if Jay Powell lowers rates a year from now and I need a faucet, well, guess what? There, there's no amount of money that I can have that's going to get me a faucet. So, you know, that just drives up the price of whatever else is available. So, you know, it's just like you can you can destroy demand, but you're also destroying supply at the same time. Not to mention supply lines are still semi messed up and it just it just gets out of hand really fast. And I, I absolutely agree with you that we're we're kind of in and having read things like uh, Adam Fergus's book. Uh, what's uh, how about money Weimar? Yeah, how money dies. It's, I've, I think I've read that like three times. It's just it's just absolutely fascinating because I'm trying to read it to figure out like where are we right now, and we're kind of at the point where it's like okay, some things are definitely everything is definitely more expensive, but some things are just harder to get, and if you can get them, they're just more expensive and coming from somewhere else. So I think we're kind of we're definitely getting to the point of no return where it's like okay, like like with my raw milk, like it's literally just within the state because you can't transport it across state lines. And it hasn't been in the store for three weeks. So does that mean that it's no longer ever coming? Or when it comes, is it going to be $20 instead of five? And it's just, I, Marty, I'm worried. I think this, I, I, I don't want to, you know, incidentally segue this, but it's just like when I think about the Bitcoin urbanism stuff, you know, cities used to be able to take care of themselves. Like they had surrounding areas uh, that were either farms or uh, farms for both, I guess, uh, uh, agriculture and for livestock, right? They could they could take care of themselves and then they exported whatever was left over, right? So we had this country where we were basically on this giant landmass. We could transport and trade with everybody. You know, goods went to all sorts of different places. And then as far as I'm concerned, um, Basically, like the Fed's 30 or not, not the Fed, but the federal government's 30 year mortgage plans basically screwed that up. And then you combine that with all the available credit and subsidies in order to build suburbia. And you literally just built a sub subdivision where you needed to grow food. So what does that mean? You know, just makes everything more difficult to get if you can get it at all. You know, it's just like globalism was nice for everybody until they realized that 
you know, I can't grow food in my backyard now. Yeah. So what is that? That's... I think, uh, think, I think that's, that's, that's like what I, that's like what I worry about. I, I go for walks around my neighborhood and look at ugly houses. And I just think to myself, like, man, like Scottsdale used to be a highly productive, uh, agricultural city. Like lot, lots of Phoenix was, uh, we live in the salt river Valley. So think about like the Nile flooding the desert and, you know, you can grow, uh, there's copper citrus or not, not, you don't grow copper. There's five C, the five C's of Arizona. So it's, it's, uh, cattle, copper, citrus, cotton, and climate. So climate's not related to that, but you know, we were used to, we used to grow just all sorts of stuff, but you know, what do you, what do you do when your 600 square mile landmass is now covered in pavement and roofs? What do you grow? How can you grow? You grow people who are complaining about the state of the world and their ability to, to get along. And they're over here on a podcast trying to figure it out. At least, <laughs> at least two of them. Well, yeah, God, I don't want to get too doomer. But it, it does seem like we're in no man's land, like your dad was describing it. Like, uh, I do not have confidence in the ability of the Fed or the federal government to produce the, the soft landing that they keep talking about. And they, can act, and they actually are beginning to talk about it less, which would signal that maybe they can see the writing on the wall, know that things are going to get a bit, a bit hairy. And in parallel with that, like there's other signals that are signaling that this may be the case predominantly the, the war drum beating for world war three, whether it be supporting Ukraine, uh, in their war against Russia or saddle or saber rattling against China, which seems to be heating up. It seems that the powers that be are beginning to try to divert attention toward war to, to create an excuse to turn back on the money printer or, um, destroy demand in another way. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we want to keep it, you know, in the same vein with real estate, thinking about, you know, being in China, most people, most people's like savings are essentially in real estate because they don't trust the government. I mean, like, why, like, why would you obviously, but the notion that they have these ghost towns or these ghost cities with all this stuff and people are buying them, you know, Evergrande going BK, like, and all they're doing is just saying, you know, oh, okay, like, well, we'll guarantee this, we'll guarantee that, or, you know, We'll, we'll make payments on your behalf. So a lot of people don't realize that uh, a lot of Chinese real estate buyers will buy like a condo and a tower before it's actually even built. So like you got to put down like 50% of the cost and then the builder builds it and then you pay the rest. So somebody's out 50% while that building is going up. Now, if the builder runs out of money because, you know, he got tired of bribing the local politicians, which is, you know, part of the gig, it's part of the game, then your half finished building that you paid a condo in paid for is worthless. Like it's just, it's not there. Like you can't use the space. There's no value in it. Like it's a concrete square. There's no utilities. It's not even finished. There's no windows. Right. So it's like the, the degree to which stuff like that is going on, you know, leads right into what you're saying. It's like, Oh, well you know, let's rattle some sabers. Look over here. Don't worry about that finished building. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll guarantee that. Here's your check. It's like, okay, well, there, there's second and third order consequences of just 
doing stuff like this. Like you just, you're papering over a problem now that is going to turn into a volcano in like a month. So it's just, you know, or whenever, whenever they, the focus comes back around to like, Hey, where's my condo or where's my check? Yeah. And we're on like the sixth or seventh layer of paper mache on top of a problem that started decades ago. And if you, if you live, you know, if you live in a place like China, when they, they just say, Nope. So when's, when do I get my house? Nope. You know, when do I get my check? Oh, nope. It's in, you know, it's in the mail. Here, download this app. Download this app. We'll we'll airdrop you some you want. I have to spend it uh, in two weeks and you can only spend it here. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. yeah. So here, here's your, here's your deposit back for your house. You have three days to spend it yeah. or it's gone. It's like, what? I could, I mean, I just, that, that is just like, uh, I, I mean, listen, I, you know, from, from my, my perspective of being a grug boy and not a think boy, I just say to myself, like, I don't even know, like, what are the implications of something like that? Like, how do you, you know, like, what? Tell some, you know, tell somebody that they can't have their deposit back, but here you go, here's some money, and but you got to spend it in two weeks. Yeah. And don't think it can't come here, freaks. If our government no. can figure out a way to make it happen, I wouldn't be surprised that they would. But let's get to some theoretical, more optimistic talk, which is, I mean, you are the Bitcoin urbanism guru. You, uh, I brought you on this show today to talk about real estate because you're immersed, I mean, not in the selling of it, but like the construction of real estate, commercial and retail. What is a way, like, let's paint a picture of a potential soft landing by incorporating Bitcoin into the world of real estate or just into the economy more generally? Like, do you think if people were to wake up understand that Bitcoin is here is extremely useful and can help facilitate a soft landing that, that it actually could. Like, is there any way from a financial perspective that Bitcoin can sort of help people, whether it be uh, people selling or buying homes? I, I think that the idea would be that the, the people most likely to, I guess, move like to, to go down this path would be the people that, a can't afford a home or B are on the verge of affording a home, but don't know if they want to do it because just think, you know, they're just like, well, you know, everything's up, everything's down and it's all moving really fast. Like, do, should we really do this? And I think that the best case is that those people kind of find Bitcoin and realize that like, you know, if we are thinking along the lines of a store value, and we can objectively define what a good store value is. Bitcoin is much better than real estate. But it's like, now hold on. Like, I, it's not like, you know, I, I can hear, I think I hear Gigi, Dirt Gigi posting in the background of real estate is a shitcoin. But it's like, you've got to live somewhere. You may not need to buy a home. But, you know, you can still rent something and live somewhere. Now, will it be more expensive than you would like? Sure. But I think over time, the best thing that people in this situation can do is realize that Bitcoin is a much better store of value. It might be better to buy Bitcoin instead of 
putting down a deposit for a home or trying to build equity in a home because the equity in your home is literally just it's unrealized gains it doesn't exist until somebody buys it so like all these boomers with mcmansions and all of these areas think that they have all this wealth right but it doesn't exist until somebody buys it so why take that risk why take that risk now if it's done over time which i think it will be i don't think it's going to be like some catastrophic deal like oh my gosh you know real estate is worth nothing anymore buy bitcoin instead i think it's more like okay well we know that the store value angle is much better with bitcoin than it is with real estate so instead of throwing all of our money all at once into real estate we're going to slowly put it into bitcoin and essentially slowly bleed the demand for real estate in that fashion right it's not and in, in, in the fashion I mean that, like, it's it's an argument that it's a, your largest investment that you're ever going to make, right? The typical, the emotional uh, drawstrings that, you know, realtors or whoever want to use in order to get people to buy a home. Now, like, don't get me wrong. Of, of course, there's demand to buy in a single family home. Like, I, I would like to live there one day. But that doesn't mean that it has to happen, you know, right away. So I think that the best case scenario is that, Real estate slowly bleeds out its value, or I guess it's its value premium as a store value. Does that make sense? Yep. So, um, you know that that's kind of just for like the single family home because it's it's a it's a durable consumer good, right? You're just you're buying it for shelter. You just want to make the shelter your home, right? So there's an emotional appeal to that. It's it's not necessarily, in my opinion, it's not an investment. It's only an investment because you allegedly make a return because Jay Powell lowers the real, you know, lowers the rates enough to where it just people can afford more with their monthly payments. So now, like as applied to everything else, my opinion generally, especially with Bitcoin urbanism, is that there is no there is no underlying basis for which development is priced over a long period of time so um this harkens back to a lot of like what uh strong towns and uh chuck marone talks about where it's like okay and i and i know this because i like i build it i get it like i i read all this stuff read his books freaks um and it was like yes yes absolutely all of this stuff has to be replaced entropy is a real thing right your water pipes are going to break in your house, just as they are outside in the street, right? All of these utilities, all these things have to be replaced. Now, how do you calculate, how do you calculate fixing that road or replacing that building or that light pole, you know, into the future? How do you do it when the quantity supply of money goes up by 8% every year? But remember at the same time that that 8% doesn't end up distributed evenly. So if cost of construction goes up, 30% like it did in the last two years. Like all of your municipal budgets for replacing things the next five years are totally trashed. They're totally trashed. So if you if you have a money that can be printed at whim, like how on earth do you have, how on earth do you maintain a budget for a city, right? How on earth, how, how does a city even calculate like how much it's gonna cost to repair a sidewalk in six months? or a year or five years from now. So like, these are the things that, that cities need to be thinking about, or people need to be thinking about when, you know, 
they're at their local zoning meeting complaining about a new development or the density of a new development or what, whatever it is. So all of these things in the built environment have a cost, right? And they have a cost now when they're built and they have a cost in their future because entropy is a thing. It exists. Everything falls apart slowly over time and must be replaced. So just like we need more and more energy to maintain our current standard of living, you need more and more infrastructure in order to maintain your existing cities. It's, it's like it's not hard. People are not going to stop having babies. People are not going to stop voting with their feet or moving around. Like you've got to be able to to adjust and keep up. But at the same time, like you've got to know that, you know, you've got to know that you got to be able to afford to replace all of those things that need to be replaced throughout time. So, um, yeah. yeah no, uh, Marty, I, I just want to build mid-rise buildings that are very highly aesthetic. You know, instead, instead, instead of this background, I want to have something else. I can tell you that. Well, you're going to have to wait till we get to a Bitcoin standard because these problems are pervasive. I mean, personally, I've experienced this in my life just on a micro level in the last week. Like we rent our house. Our house was built in the 70s and we had somebody come do some work on our pipes in our bathroom and they had to go under the house and they looked at the pipes. They're like, these all need to be replaced. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it's going to be very expensive. And I don't think the owner the house realizes that and uh it's it's when you think about it like at a micro level on a house by house basis like you need all that maintenance but then expanding it to city by city state by state it is uh a very precarious situation we find ourselves in and chuck marone really drives that home in strong towns like kelly said go read that book like the amount of maintenance debt that this country has accrued over the last 50 years is astonishing. And I don't think it's something a a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill is going to fix, especially if a lot of that $1.2 trillion either goes towards things like renewable energy or just gets siphoned off. How can we make sidewalks woke? I think there's probably, there's probably something in there about that. Oh, Definitely. Yeah, no, so freaks, if you're interested, just think about this. Go stand outside your house. Go stand on the sidewalk in front of the front door of your house. Look down and just try and wonder how much infrastructure is under your street and what does it cost to put it there? And then that's when you're going to go down a rabbit hole of like, wait a minute, there's stuff under my street? It's like, oh, yes, freak. There's lots of things under your street. And I can probably guess that it hasn't been touched in 20 to 30 years, which like, you know, what you were talking about with the house that you rent, the the think about it this way the way that your house the house that you live in was built 70 years ago is way better than the house would be built today so you probably have copper pipes and all of these things like the actual durable materials that are in there the stuff that goes in the house today for plumbing is pex so it's like it's basically hard plastic and it's held together by pex couplings so uh, when the Texas freeze happened like a year ago, was that a year ago? It was two years ago. Uh, like two years one ago. Of the, yeah. So one of, one of the major things that was happening was that like all of this PEX that they put in the houses is not rated for sub-zero temperatures or even like freezing temperatures, right? Because your, your water is going to freeze in the house and then it's literally just going to pop off all of those joints, right? So your, your house was literally not built to handle this and those people have to go back and replumb their entire homes 
Whereas like you could just replace copper if you really wanted to. But in that situation where there's plastic everywhere that falls apart, like what are you going to do? What are you going to do freaks? No, then there's a situation if you don't even realize it's broken or if it's just like a small break and it's just leaking into the foundation of your house. Like then yep. you get structural problems. Yep. 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 Freaks, your, your home was not built to last more than like 25, 30 years. Unless like that comes into the high tide preference stuff. You know, deal, deals are done in real estate to turn and, you know, to essentially flip and move on. Very, very seldom, you know, even if they're building like a huge apartment complex and they sell it to like New York Life or whoever for, you know, $250 million. It's like still, they, they built it at the price that they could in order to move it, in order to maintain some level of control for uh, profit at the end of the day. But, you know, it became an industry standard. So now PEX is everywhere, right? So it's just the, the I wouldn't say it's like corner cutting, but it's like cost cutting. So I, ha- I have this, I've been kicking around this idea for um, like a, like a long form essay on craftsmanship and like how we got to, you know, where we were like a hundred years ago um, to like where we are today. Like where's, where's the craftsman? You know, I lament about that. Even my, the supers that I talk to lament about that. There's no craftsman left. It's like, well, what do you, what do you need a craftsman for when you can unroll a plastic tube and pop it together? You know? People don't even use brick anymore. They use veneer and they use all sorts of labor-saving techniques. So you don't even you don't even need a mason, right? You don't need a bricklayer. Where's where's the craftsmanship and nailing a template to a wall and then, you know, put in put in bricks between each little line exactly where it shows you to go. So um, I think 50 years of labor-saving techniques and and moving to lower quality goods that have, you know, allegedly the same lifespan. Allegedly, but not, yeah, not allegedly, reality. but not. Yeah. It's just, it's just a slow degrading of quality and all of these things, you know? Well, you're really driving home the point that real estate is a shit coin. Cause what you just described is essentially <laughs> like the ICO boom, like just spin up a token cheaply, pump it, flip it, make your return. Like that, if that's yeah, what you're, it, that's what you're fine tuning uh, for. I think that seemed very similar. <laughs> I mean, sure. To, to, to some degree, I mean, yeah. The, di- the difference is it's not an air token. You know, it's, we'll call it a brick token, right? You can go and kick it with your toe and bust your toe. It exists. It's real. It's, and it can be repriced and, so that it is a good deal, right? So, you know, I'm just... And, and some of the research that I've done, so let's say that people are paying like five, 5% cap rates. So what a cap rate is, is that um, uh, it is like the net operating income of something and then you agree to pay X times it. So if something is a five cap, you're paying 20 times the income. Um, so, you know, the cap rates for real estate, you know, 100 years ago were high teens, 20s stuff like that. And now they're down into the fives. And why, why is that? You know, cost of debt is way lower. The terms of the debt are way different. You know, if you guys think that a 30 year mortgage existed hundred years ago, you guys are crazy. You know, if you wanted to buy a house hundred years ago, you were essentially getting a commercial balloon mortgage where, you know, you had a five year term, you know, but at the same time, you know, that was two and a half times your income. Now it's like 10, so, 
Um, I lost my train of thought, Marty. I'm not going to lie. No, it's it's not hard to lose your train of thought when uh, you're trying to put together all these disparate pieces and variables that explain how our world is fucked. But I do believe we're going to fix it. I believe Bitcoin's going to play an important role in that. And you were mentioning some positive, optimistic trends you were seeing in particular markets around zoning rights. What else are you seeing that, that is giving you some hope, some optimism about the future? Yeah, so let's... Let's uh, let's not be so dim here, and um, yeah. Th- so there there are th- th- and strong towns is a very good example of like uh, local communities getting together and uh, pursuing change. We'll say so. Most people don't know that um, land use is generally controlled. We'll say like the super alliance majority is controlled by local local ordinance and state more local than state. Um, because the federal government or the Supreme Court uh, ruled that in Amber v. Euclid. But what that means is that you, freak, have control over what happens in your city. And you can go and you can bitch about it and you can change the rules. So that is what is happening around the country. Um, there's uh, lots of great information, lots of good arguments that can be made um, to pursue change. So like the... the um, the one that's very popular is eliminating uh, parking minimums. So parking is one of the largest expenses that a developer has on a per unit basis when building, let's say, an apartment. So if you are a Zoomer and you want to move in to this new place, the difference you know, per unit may be 5 to 10% of your rent just to build that one parking space, right? Um, and it just it also depends on how it's built and all this other stuff but there's always a cost to consuming space for land right whether it's underground parking or like a podium structure kind of like the ones that we talked about earlier in austin or if it's just a giant you know walk-up apartment like you would find here in town where you know a 10 acre site half of it is parking right so there there's always a cost to all of these things now there's a push to eliminate those and reduce those costs. Now what that does is it allows for walkable urban environments to be built because you're no longer having to spend um, a the money for uh, uh, the parking and b you don't need necessarily a car. So if I, I you know I don't know what the average car payment is, but let's say it's like 500 bucks. So if you're able to build and live in an environment where you don't need one especially in like the desert Southwest, which is like totally car dependent. If you don't need a car anymore, you know, not only did I just save you 500 bucks a month on a car payment, you don't need the parking space. So I just save five to 10% of your rent. So now we're getting into the thoughts and the cycles where it's like, okay, well now if building wealth, if building wealth is important in order for your future, right. Or even just having cash for a rainy day fund, which like, 60% 60% of the country has what, like less than 500 bucks or whatever that stat is, you know, th- these, these numbers start to become really important. Um, and that kind of feeds on itself because it's like, well, if you're going to have, if you're going to eliminate parking for your apartment complex and you need to walk to get all your goods, you know, then you need to have services within walking distance. Now, not to trigger like the, the WEF, you know, yeah, 15 uh, minute cities. Class. Kelly's Kelly's yeah, so, fifteen minute city guy. So let, let's think about it this way: we, we've got to we've got to clear the record for this. So the fifteen minute city is like is a heuristic. So 
that was like studies done where it basically says people will generally generally walk 15 minutes to get the services that they want and desire. Now, that got turned upside down by China by putting fucking gates everywhere and not letting you out unless you have a green you know, QR code. And then, of course, the WF is like, oh, yeah, they, this is great. Let's just do this everywhere. You know, the CCP has got it figured out. So, no, freaks, the 15-minute city is not some giant conspiracy theory. It was just a heuristic that... Basically, what's that the saying where it's like uh, as soon as a, a metric becomes a measure, it becomes a bad metric or something like that? Where it's like, you know, if somebody puts together a heuristic where it's like, well, uh, a, a successful urban environment has, you know, all these services within a 15 minute walk of somebody's domicile, somebody's like where they live. Then it's like, OK, then you're going to draw people to those areas. You're going to be successful in building a uh, a car minimized or even a car free environment which is cheaper to maintain and also produces more wealth um, for the people that own the land the people that live there and for cities so um yeah it's it's unfortunate i can't remember i was gonna read some of those i have like three or four essays that are you know in the oven for bitcoin urbanism one of them um briefly mentions that but it's like they 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 took this idea where this is kind of essentially in a complex system. This is just kind of like what happened. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, China got a hold of it and you got to scan your QR code in order to leave your, your cell block, your cell in, in cell block. I mean, like your city block becomes a cell where it has all the things you need. And technically you should never be able to go that, that, that is an abomination, no doubt. But, um, you know, yeah, the West's trying that, to do that kind of stuff happens top down central planning. And, and not emergent, which is what you're describing is like the, like the Correct. externalities of eliminating, uh, parking minimums leads to a design landscape for the architect or the person constructing where they have new parameters and they're likely to include goods and services around that design landscape that they have, where as WEF yeah, in China, they're like, no, we're going to use this too. Um, to to essentially police you and confine you intentionally, where yeah, what you're describing is emergent, where like what the weather wants is like penalties if you go outside your zone and drive a car into somebody else's zone. If you do that too many yeah. times, you get you get dinged. That's like that. Uh, uh, what was that movie called? Uh, Timeless. Yes. Um, where you had to you had to pay for your entry in time in order to go to the different tiers of the city. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of, it would be, it, it would end up being the same thing where they control blocks and in order to pass through blocks, there's some sort of fee and you either have it or you don't, or you know somebody or you don't. And, you know, you're stuck in your little hellscape and, you know, that's that, that becomes like a, like a cast essentially. So yeah, no freaks. I, I'm not, I'm not a secret spy, uh, WEF agent. I am not Klaus Schwab. Even though, you know, if you cut off the hair, who knows? But um, no, just kidding. But uh, yeah, and I just, you know, I have, uh, when it comes to like urban planning and stuff like that, you know, it's, they try to do it like top down. Like most people don't know when you want to build a coffee shop, let's say that you find a space, there's no parking required. You're in a nice little area. Um, And 
you buy all your equipment and you show up and you want to open a coffee shop. It's like, well, sorry, pal, you forgot. You got to go to the city and get your use permit. And then you come to find that actually that area isn't zoned for that use permit. So you can't build your coffee shop there. So that, that plays into the issue with top-down central planning, and especially when it comes to use and like the, the, the notion of the 15-minute city. It's like, okay, well, they quote-unquote know which services you need and want. Therefore, they will plan them in an urban block in the manner which suits them or which they believe suits you. And then it's copy-paste. And don't forget all the security cameras and all the locks and all the gates, right? So that that's like the CCP WEF version of the 15-minute city. Now, that's just like a total sad ripoff off the, the complex emergent you know, version of that. But um, to go back to the, the main point is that like eliminating parking is a very important, parking minimums are, are a very important step in that direction because that's that's really what gets the ball rolling if you can create an environment where people don't need cars now like don't get me wrong i'm not anti-car like i'm i'm absolutely not they have wonderful you know utility value they they perform you know wonderful functions like i drive a big ass truck like you're not you're not taking that big ass truck from me so uh i get it but at the same time like i know that for my city to produce wealth and for land to continue to have value into the future, it has to be able to pay for itself. Parking is one of those things, especially parking required parking minimums are one of those things that reverses that calculation and makes it very expensive because you have to have all of the surrounding infrastructure. Remember like second and third order consequences. How does everybody get downtown? Well, you got to have a 10 lane freeway, both directions like Houston does. And then they just keep adding lanes. And what does it do? It does nothing. It saves like a minute for two years and then guess what? They're back to where they are. So they spend all this money on freeways, bulldozing houses in order to do that. And then what? Downtown Houston is basically a giant parking lot. And that that's like another thing with like the last and central planning tweets. Is like I, show, I, I retweet these all the time. Cities from what they look like 75, 80 years ago versus what they look like now. It's disgusting. So just talk. It's just totally gutted. They're just parking lots. So you had all of this wealth that existed or was being fostered over time, and then you just bulldozed it for a parking lot that is free. Yeah. No, and this gets back to what I think was the highest signal in Chuck Maroon's strong towns is this concept of revenue per square foot, which obviously parking spots, most places you go, aren't paid parking. So you're taking up all this land, not getting any revenue from it. You're basically wasting all the square footage with no revenue. Whereas I think that's something we should make a push at the local level here in the States. If you're a freak listening to this, you want to get involved in your local community, like go to your local zoning board, whatever it may be and say, Hey, we need to shift our KPIs from whatever they may be now to revenue per square foot. Let's just like hone in on this this one metric and really try to optimize that as much as possible. Yeah. So like an example for that would be with transit departments, the, the metric is, uh, uh, in, in echoing Chuck Marone, the, 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 uh, the metric is an efficiency. So like how long, how long does it take you to get somewhere? Or how much time does something save you versus like the safety of versus safety, which is, you know, how safely can you get somewhere and how safely can everyone else be, 
on your path to for you to get somewhere. So um, a lot of the, if you're changing a metric like that, it totally changes the design of transportation environments, cars, all of these things. You know, streets are, you know, freaks if you're driving down like a, a subdivision and it's like 50 feet between the curbs on each side of the street. Like I can tell you right now, that street was not designed for you to go 25 miles an hour. Like your brain sees a wide open area and it's just like go, right? Versus a narrow street where you've got to pay more attention. Like you, you subconsciously slow down. Um, so we have like this data exists. And that's one of the things that I like to include in Bitcoin urbanism is like the, the evolutionary bio, uh, biology and evolutionary psychology. Like all of these things, like there are objective tests that can be done. So like your, your ugly ass building downtown that you hate, which is four, you know, four walls and glass, like your brain, you, you can literally test your brain ignores all of that versus, you know, if you went and looked at the state, uh, Texas state capitol, like you you can see, you see all these details, your brain is occupied subconsciously. You're not even like you, you may know that you're looking around, but your eye moves so fast and your brain catches so much information, you know, visually that like you are looking at these and it pleases your brain. So for all of you people that like uh, modern buildings and, and architecture, I'm sorry, but you've been conditioned and um, you're essentially, you know, you've been cucked. I'm sorry. That is true. You've been cucked and you're making all of our lives worse and you're making it harder for our cities to produce revenue to actually reinvest in infrastructure and maintain. Correct. What, uh, what their, what their original job was supposed to be. Yeah. Now, now it's about putting, you know, whatever gender deals are decals on the bathroom about who can be there and who can't just remember they're, they're focused on the important things freaks. Uh, nothing to see here. Yeah. Let's spend hours at a at a board meeting talking about this and everybody's feelings instead of the uh, the blatant structural problems that exist right in front of our lives. Like, oh, how are we gonna? Oh yeah, actually rebuild all, all, all of our stuff? bridges. All of our bridges that got uh, D D grades in the the latest uh, uh, civil engineers report. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, don't don't worry about that. That's fine. Shh. Which these, gender are you today? Yeah, all these train derailments are normal. Don't look over there. Yeah, I mean so that's I, I hate to, that's yeah, like a glaring, like topical example of crumbling infrastructure. Because like absolutely, people, like East Ballantine, obviously terrible situation, but it wasn't until that happened and you had all this vinyl chloride leaking into the atmosphere. I was like, oh no, this is terrible. And then you look up the stats. There's like 1,700 train derailments a year on average. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. How is that possible? How am I only hearing about yeah. this one? Well, I think to to tie it back into like, you know, uh, U.S. dollar fiat money versus like Bitcoin. Remember that, especially in uh, an industry like rail, right, that it's it's a now become like a lower margin business. Well, a low margin is like three or four, maybe five percent returns, whatever it is. But it's like. If you are eroding the purchasing power of that money and you are in a competitive environment, you are forced to essentially cut corners, right? Or do fewer things. Now, when it comes, when it gets so bad that you are not fixing the rail upon which your entire business resides or depends on, 
Like how, how do you make that work? And I, the, the answer is you can't. You can't, the, the infrastructure costs too much money in order to replace. And then you're basically just forced to put out 1,700 fires a year where it's like, oh, well, you know, that, that line needs work. Or uh, yeah, note that, or maybe bump that up in, in terms of like urgency for needed repairs. But then now flip, flip the script. Your money gains purchasing power over time. And theoretically, these costs go down because competition and uh, technology creates cheaper products, cheaper, better products, so that you can maintain your infrastructure in a, uh, let's say, a higher grade manner over time, right? As things, basically, things should be getting better instead of worse, right? It's not, it's like we're, we're, we're turning into like death by a thousand cuts instead of like, death in a thousand years, right? Things should be getting better. Things should be working better, lasting longer, you know, up until, up until like the fifties, that was basically the case. Um, yeah. And then we yeah, had just, just, just weird anomaly of the digital age coming and software driving down. Uh, you have this deflation in the, the area of the digital world where it really confuses people. It's like, Oh, my iPhone's faster. It's cheaper. Uh, yeah. I can, I can do things like, stream over the internet for yeah. relatively low cost. Like, you oh, know, things are getting better, but it's yeah. just, this is weird point in time that we've been born in where, yes, we are reaping the benefits of software driving down costs to create things, but the physical world still does exist. Well, think about it this way too. The, the digital world and the digital, the software and all of these things that we can use digitally, uh, I think is part of like what uh, Jeff Booth says is that like, that that's literally what's kept the lid on all of this on all of these problems we're able to essentially lower our costs elsewhere and use what the digital environment allows us which is essentially infinite replicability right other than bitcoin hell yeah um but at the same time like that's really the only thing that's kept the lid on basically things just going to shit super fast like it's 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 masked so well by the improvements in technology and what we can do with software that people think that it's like, okay, well, maybe this is just normal. And uh, uh, another good thread about this, uh, Alan Farrington had a thread about basically arguing that like why, if inflation is good or bad, or why, why isn't technology getting expensive better, right? Like you said, your iPhone is the same price, but now it's, two times faster or it has all of these extra gizmos and gadgets. You're streaming like, from your iPhone right now, aren't you? Exactly. So I'm, I'm streaming from my iPhone, which is a superior technology to the camera in my, in my laptop, but they just updated the software so that I can do it literally without plugging anything into my phone, into my camera, or excuse me, plugging my phone camera into my laptop. So it's like, well, that was a step function change, you know? My hair looks so much better. Can't you see, Marty? But <laughs> it's like, ah, you know, how do you, if it was really the case that falling prices were going to stop consumption, why wouldn't it stop the just absolute gangbusters improvements in technology? And the answer is it doesn't because the underlying par paradigm is incorrect. So yeah, it's why we Bitcoin freaks, we're turning the world around. We have we're to turn it around. We have That's to. Right. We're going to win because we have to win. What's the alternative? All this, uh, all this cool technology 
is going to be for not in like 20, 30 years. If you literally don't have the physical infrastructure to keep all the servers and uh, right. things running, like going back to the train, right. like the way, like the train example, obviously very topical, but like, it's so clear. Like I'm sure you saw that video of the one train in Michigan or something. And it was on that yeah. rail that was just like, Holy shit. I, <laughs> like, I, I must disclose that I am a rail fan freaks. So like, you know, I, I like my trains. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, seeing that that one video is emblematic of kind of like what I described, like how much does it cost to fix that rail and replace it so that they don't have to do that. And it's it, I'll tell you how it works. It's a it is a math equation for how much the line is used, how much is transportate transported on it from one place to another and how much is it going to cost to repair it. So what's the speed difference between if it was a perfect rail versus that fucking wobbly god awful video? And the answer is it doesn't need to be repaired. Yeah. And just like, like the way the monetary system is set up right now, it in the long run, if something doesn't change, if we don't adopt a Bitcoin standard, all these rails are going to completely collapse because if inflation keeps going up, there there's not a cost where it makes sense to repair the rails. Not Well, not even that. It doesn't make sense to... It, it won't make sense to to pay to use the rail for what they would have to charge you just to just to be able to afford to replace it. So, you know, who's going to move who's going to move DVD players from uh, or not cheese DVD players. Nobody's moving DVD more. players anymore. Yeah, no. Who, OK, so who, who's moving iPhones from California to New York on a busted rail, you know, or if you want to replace the rail, it's going to cost you 10 times more. Sorry, don't think you're getting an iPhone. Yeah. I mean, then you go even lower down the societal stack, like energy. I mean, this is a problem that's been very front and center over the last few years. Like Biden and crew calling the oil and gas industry greedy profiteers, but they're literally trying to eke every molecule they can out of the ground. There's not enough drilling teams in the country to pr provide more supply to the market. Like you, you have a breakdown there too. And then, Rates are going up, so the cost of capital is more expensive, and you get into this doom loop that we're describing right now. Like you, you can't even begin to approach starting a new project because it's prohibitively expensive to to the interest rate environment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I in, I guess you know to to merge both of uh, you know your topic and kind of what I'm talking about. Like California is a perfect example of that. Like they're they're net energy importers, so they're in uh, outside of Phoenix. There's a Palo Verde uh, nuclear plant that uh, powers a bunch of this state. But like everything, literally any spare capacity that exists, it goes straight to California. Like there is there is no capacity for anything else. And I've made those phone calls and I've asked, you know, it's like, hey, you got a gigawatt or so available? Maybe I can strap some, you know, undisclosed uh, computers to it. But the answer is no, like it, it's just, it all goes to California. So California imports all of this energy and then they just backhand the crap out of anybody who wants to participate in the energy environment where it's just like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But if you're already in there, like you good luck getting out. So. Yeah. Well, California is going to be a great case study and just the collapse of an economy because what in California, like separate from the United States would be like a top five economy on yeah. the planet. And they have insane taxes, insane energy policy, insane 
woke policy that's eking in and it's driving people out, uh, the richest people that provide most revenue to their tax base. And I, I think, when do they have like a decline in population of a half a million people over the last two years? Oh yeah, yeah I mean, easy. I wouldn't be surprised if it was half a million and well, that'd be a lot. So yeah, probably half a million in two years. I know that uh, Arizona, I think, has picked up 150 or 160,000 people in the last two years, over half of them from California. So it's just the people, the, the march, and I describe it this way. When it comes to putting up with bullshit from wherever you live, it is like the marginal, the marginal person moves, right? So it's like the, that one more ordinance or rule where it's just like, I have had it, right? They're the first ones to go. It's not even that they want to go or that they're, that they're thinking that like, wow, in five years, this place is going to be insane. It's like, okay, no, that was that like the one thing new that happened. That was it. I'm moving. And like, you know, I run into these people all the time, especially as they move to, to Arizona uh, and some of the areas that I like walk around, you know, I just talk to neighbors. It's whatever. And, um, you talk to your neighbors, you freak. Uh, I mean, technically they're not even my neighbors cause I'm walking around neighborhoods that I don't live. You got, you got to, these are neighborhoods where I would like to live. So you talk to those people so that they, you know, they know who you are. But um, yeah, it's just, I've got uh, family friends that are very high end builders and they service California clients and they're just like, yeah, no, I just, I got tired of it. It was just like, oh, the one thing, I just got tired of it. So yeah. it wasn't like the, the entire existence of everything that California, you know, negatively does, so to speak, that was, like you put up with that and they're like, yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, just one thing. I just kind of got tired of it. And now I took all my money and I paid for too much, paid too much for a lot or a house in Arizona. And sorry if you can't afford it anymore. Yeah. Well, but, that, uh, that brings up the other point too, like with this population decline in California, like who has the ability to move in the first place? It's usually people who are more well off and supplying more tax revenue yeah. to your state. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you want to see a jaw dropper, you got to look at the historical prices of U-Haul trailers uh, from uh, either L.A. to Phoenix or L.A. to uh, Texas and then like Northern California to Idaho, Montana, all these things. The cost to take a trailer out of California and then the cost for that trailer to go back or even like the, the truck. It's it's almost uh, I think when it got really crazy, it was 10 times more expensive to take the trailer or the truck out of California than it was to take it back. That's how, that's how much in demand, you know, moving trucks were. And that's, there is a U-Haul index for that. So it shows you, I think, I'm pretty sure U-Haul is the one that publishes it. I mean, I don't know why they would, but they publish the, the rates about where, you know, people are moving. So that's the, the voting with their feet. And it's just like, there ain't a whole lot of people going to California. At one point, they were paying people to drive stuff back to California so that they could use it as inventory for people to leave California. So just, <laughs> I mean, that's just nuts. But Yeah, and then you have the big worry of people in the states where the Californians are fleeing to. Like, are they going to turn this into California? And that's... Yeah, well, uh, they, they, try that. they try that here. And um, I would like to say that we've been reasonably successful and reminding people that they're no longer in fucking California. So, um, is it yeah, working so, out? We'll, and ask me in 10 years, we'll find out. Yeah, we will. I mean, I go, I mean, I'm, 
I didn't flee California. I flew the New York, fleed, fleed the New York area, came down here to Texas. And I like to think I, <laughs> I left because I didn't like it there. I learned my lesson and will not try to bring the same policies to, to Texas. I see Texas as a safe haven from that madness. Yeah. And I imagine not everybody, but a, a good percentage of the people who are fleeing these places have had the same mindset. Yeah. Uh, 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 what's the name? Um, the B. Um, boy, I might forget. Babylon B. They have those videos about Californians moving to Texas or whatever. Have you seen those before? Yeah, they have like the guns when they open the door. Like. Yeah, yeah, and they all wear masks. That's pretty funny. But I, I mean, on the bonus side, people that are selecting, you know, where they're moving to, are more likely to, I guess, espouse similar views to where their destination is, unless they're they're forcing because of economics. So like a lot of people move to um, West Phoenix because it's a closer drive, right? They're, they're used to driving an hour and a half to work. So if they move to Phoenix where they got to drive an hour, 45 minutes to work and the home costs half as much, like it's, it's a double, it's a double win for them. So there is lots of that that happens here, but it's just because California becomes so expensive. Um, so the economic moves are, movers are much less likely to, uh, at least in my experience and from the data that I've read here, they're much less likely to espouse the views of the places that they're moving to versus like, well, I'm just here because I have to be here. Yeah, damn it. Now I'm going to bring all of these things with me because I want to recreate the environment that I actually enjoyed. It's like, sorry, dude, there's no beach here. So you're going to have to, <laughs> you're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. God, very interesting time to be alive. Hell yeah, Marty, we're fixing everything. But I know it's, you know, I don't want it to sound. I can we fix like, it faster than it's falling apart? That's the question. Like, well, uh, how fast can you develop lightning apps? How fast can people build on top of Bitcoin? That's the real question. Um, so, you know, I'm, you know, we've, I've, I swear I have to be like the, the boy who cried wolf talking about Bitcoin mortgages. But it's like, you know, there, there are options for, there are options to do things differently. It's just more difficult to do in this environment. So, you know, people are, are building all sorts of tools um, that can be used. And I think, and I always tell people, they always argue with me like, well, why on earth do we need that here? It's like, well, technically we don't right now, but like, guess what? The number one uses, the number one, the places for the number one usages of Bitcoin are not here, but look, we're, Look where that's happening, Nigeria, Vietnam, all these places where they have an option and they are exercising it, right? There, there's the, the golden ray of sunshine through the clouds. So tools are being built for people that are ne not as, you know, worse off than we are, but are in a situation where they need the tools and the tools are working. So, you know, uh, Parker Lewis has an essay, um, it's not like Bitcoin is for everyone, but the idea is that if you do the logic where Bitcoin works for criminals, it'll work for everybody else. But if it doesn't work for criminals, it won't work for anybody. Right. So if you're if you're in a situation where um, your local currency is shit, but Bitcoin works, then it's going to work if your currency is good. Right. All of these underlying um, apps and protocols that people are developing, you know. It's it's. If it works for them, it'll work for you. 
You may yeah. not be in the same situation, but if the situation were to be applied to you, you have an option. And for what, like the history of man, there's always been very few options or the, the chance to take an option. Or take the accessibility to the option has not ever been Correct. what it is with Bitcoin right now. Correct. You know, come get my note, motherfucker. So, <laughs> I, and I it just like, I just, I just think that that's so cool. Like seeing all these projects and stuff around, like you, you had posted the other day about Scrib and I'm in the process of basically moving away from Substack to Ghost and doing like the value for value thing. Cause it's like, well, if Substack's going to use Ghost's underlying, you know, technology anyways, like what the fuck am I doing? I'll go somewhere else where I can, you know, somebody can send me 25 sats or whatever for reading one of my essays. Like how cool is that? That's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. Think it's going to catch on and yeah like going back to your point like if it works for people in emerging markets and you don't think you need it here but it'll work for you anyway like that's powerful but also with that being said you may not think you need it here but everything we've discussed today with inflation being out of control uh, the infrastructure deteriorating before our eyes and this fiat structure really decaying the quality of life in the United States, despite all the deflation that's gone on in the tech sector. Like you may not realize it, but you do need it. Uh, you are going to need Bitcoin. Like yes, the U S dollar is a reserve currency of the world right now. It is the strongest fiat currency in the world right now. But again, it's the cleanest turd on the pile of shit. And yeah. as we've explained throughout the last hour and a half like it's doesn't seem like there's any easy outs like the options that jerome powell and the fed and the treasury have before them are very few uh and most of them or I've, all of them essentially wind up with you being more debased than you are now yeah i mean like you know and on oh, the essay was bitcoin is not for criminals um but uh, and, and kind of like what Parker says, it's the same thing. Like you can only, you need a certain quantity of dollars for the existing system to function. But in order for the existing system to function, you have to continuously expand the quantity of credit provided. Therefore, you have to continually expand the quantity of money that you need in order for it to work, right? So you, you're in this position where it's like, it's like a top, you know, you spin the top and then if it gets a little wobbly, you have to go and you have to spin it again. And hopefully you don't just knock it over. But it's like they're waiting to see how wobbly the top is, even though they're looking essentially in the past and it doesn't reflect what the reality is. So, you know, the, these things historically do not do not turn out well for anybody. So you need to seriously think about what's happening, where we may be and that, you know, acknowledge that there is an option to to, to literally just step outside of the sandbox. Pick a new one. Play a different game. Choose Bitcoin, freaks. You can exit the system. Exit the madness. And that's the other thing, too, for Westerners. Like, ah, oh, I don't need it. Like, again, you do need it. Right now. You don't it's need gonna, it right now. I think you do need it right now. I think you may not realize it, but well, you between, do. Well, between me and you, but, it, like, the argument's like, well, yeah, you know, they're not, they're not thinking along a timeline. They're like, well, yeah, I mean, they're very high time preference. Like, right now, yeah, of course I don't need it. Like, this is silly. My currency is just fine. It's like, well, yeah, but on a long enough timeline, even like the last three years, what about that? So, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. 
No, it's okay. People are going to need it. That's. I think what I wanted to add there is like, since it's open, since it's got these new layers coming to it, like you can build. Like going back to like the utility that the tech boom and software particularly has has provided us. Like that's going to be playing out again on top of Bitcoin. So like if you want to build a company, if you want to build utility, provide something productive to the world, like Bitcoin is somewhat of a tabula rasa right now that you can go build on. Yeah. And I think that like, uh, like I, I don't really like, I, I mean, I have a Noster account, but like I kind of generally understand what it is as far as like a messaging relay. And it's like, okay, well here's a protocol where it's like, this is, is, is it built on top of Bitcoin? Bitcoin's integrated into it, right? Through Lightning and all of the use, like Zaps and all this other stuff. It's like, okay, well, what, what do we find here? Like, how is this concept of developing open protocols with the monetary layer literally baked into it? Like, are we starting to, Are we have we turned the corner where now things are built basically where like integrating Bitcoin is like a, uh, like in it, uh, what's primitive? The, well, right, a permitive or like an imperative, yeah. right? So now, like you can you can relay information with you know posting on on Noster, and like you can receive somebody else's Bitcoin for that. Like the the value that you would now have provided in a manner that can't be stopped. Somebody paid for that. Yeah. Like what, what are the second and third order effects of that? Right. Or like what, what can be done, what can be done by running a relay for fee, right? You know, so long as you don't violate the golden rule that, you know, all, all information across the node is, is valid, right? You know, if you're not censoring anything, like what? I just, I just think this, I just, I'm like, I'm not technical. I couldn't program my way out of a paper bag. But like, I just think that is the coolest, the coolest stuff is being done, you know, on Bitcoin and apps in order to help people around the world or to give them a chance to communicate freely and openly. The the, the free transmission of information, ideas and thoughts, you know, I just think that's the coolest thing. It's, take, it's taking the Bitcoin night fight from Twitter to a place where it literally can't be censored. Yeah. So I just think that's that just blows me away. No, it's happening in Nostra, it's happening podcasting, podcasting 2.0. Freaks will be streaming us sets. I'll leak some Scrib Alpha too. DJ um, is working on a tool that will allow you to syndicate your Bitcoin Urbanism newsletter, not only to Ghost, you post it on Ghost, it gets auto-syndicated to clients on Noster that are reading content in that way. And it will yeah. include the paywall, where like after a paragraph or two, if you want to paywall it to read more, right on Noster, it'll zap the paywall and you'll the client will release the content to the end user so it won't only live on ghost you'll be able to syndicate it to any Noster client that's uh presenting the the content in that way right and think and think about think about like the the reach and with such like a low like a low barrier i guess like a low barrier to value right so you you want to consume information that you find valuable but the barrier is like a sat Right. So it's super easy, super easy to pay the sat and move on. But it's like, you know, what I was thinking about, like with Scrib and like how it applies to like newsletters, 
you know, that kind of reminds me of like how Medium used to show like the most highlighted sections of somebody's essay or like whatever it is. Well, think about like somebody paying, you know, paying you to do that. Say like, well, this is what I really liked about your, your articles, this paragraph or this, this idea, like, and here's 10 sats for it. Like, and then like, I'm going to, as part of that, I'm going to tweet it out to everybody because I think they'll also, or I'll send it on Aster rather, put it on a relay, send it to the whole world because I think that the world values this or I think that they will. I just, it re, oh, it just blows me away. The, the, the idea that with uh, internet native money, with lightning on top of that, that the the amount of value that can be provided to others that they you know would be willing to send you a sat or something for it. I mean, even just just the just the ability to do that and the fact that somebody would do that and that they are doing that. Goodness gracious. Yeah, it's making me bullish. We were, we were a bit pessimistic in the in the beginning of this episode, and for well, most of it, you know, but now now we're turning the bull the bull horns on. I, I I'm, I'm a big fan of you have in order to understand where you want to go, you got to know where you are, and like you know, shit's fucked up, Reese. I won't I won't put any sugar on it for you, but it's like we gotta we gotta realize where we are right now because if you don't know where you are, you don't know how to get out of where you're at, and you don't know how to get or you don't even know where you're going, so. Um, yeah, with, with, with all of these tools, everything changes. There's, we're, we're eliminating, you know, for my part, we're eliminating a central authority's ability to dictate land use. And the only reason they can do that is because credit is centralized and they can play all sorts of games in order to make sure that you pay your fee, right. Or that they have the power in order to do that. But it's like, you know, the future is very bright. The future is very bright. Um, you know, I think uh, for t- people talking about citadels and building the places that they want to have and be a part of, like that's 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 cool. That's that's where we're heading. I agree. I agree. The uh, the present may seem a bit, seem a bit uh, gloomy, but the future is very bright. We have to acknowledge where we are to be even begin to think about where we're going. Absolutely. So. I think, I mean, I don't think we could say it any more perfectly. Sometimes, Brother Marty, just nail it and you'll leave it on a high note. <laughs> where can uh, where can we send the freaks to learn more about Bitcoin urbanism and of these ideas you're talking about today that you plan on expanding on in the future? All right, freaks. So I'm on uh, Twitter at KT. L-A-N-N-A-N and uh, at Bitcoin Urbanism as well. I have a, a substack, bitcoinurbanism.substack.com, which will be transitioned to ghost and it'll just be bitcoinurbanism.com. And uh, I must note because um, around here we accept 1000% responsibility that in BlockFi going bankrupt, I used their their Bitcoin rewards credit card and my SurveyMonkey account expired and they deleted all my data. So if you guys remember taking a survey about uh, Bitcoin mortgages, um, they deleted all that. What? Thank you. It's my fault. Yeah. So I had I had hundreds of responses and they busted me down to a free account. So now I only have 40. And I was using that information to search for um, essentially uh, financiers who would buy a package of essentially MBS. So like think about like a mortgage-backed security, but except 
with a Bitcoin as part of your collateral. So as some of the freaks know, I'm, I'm working on a Bitcoin mortgage product um, with another guy. And uh, it's slow going because as soon as you say Bitcoin, people usually reach to hang up the phone. So uh, please take the survey. If you have taken it once, please go back and take it again because your, your information got deleted. But um, if any of you are MBS guys or no MBS guys or want to raise money for a pool of funds and aren't afraid of Bitcoin, please reach out to me, DM me, whatever. That would make the process in serving Bitcoiners and getting them mortgages much easier. And I can finally do something that I've been telling people I've been trying to do for two years. So I'm not I'm not that the boy who cried Bitcoin mortgage and never, never did it so but otherwise those are the places you can find me um i try i try i need to to uh pilgrimage out to austin for a bit devs um trying yeah, to do that time. once a year but it's time yeah I, I need to do that but uh you know otherwise uh i'm on noster i don't even know maybe i'll send you my pub key i guess i don't even know like how do you share this stuff we'll share your with, pub key uh, in the show notes sh- sure share the pub key in the show notes i'll send you some links and then uh yeah, freaks, I hope you uh, got value out of this. And uh, one of my favorite things I will say from the last appearance was um, all the tradesmen who reached out and kind of were like, yeah, I listened to this podcast with you and Marty and what you're talking about this. And I see this shit all the time. It's like that that stuff really keeps me going because, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not one of those developers that kind of hates on, you know, all the different people showing up to my job. Everybody has a very, very important and valuable aspect of creating the built environment if you're in it. And, uh, you know, being in a trade is not, you know, not something to be ashamed of. So fuck all the haters, DM me. I will, I will pump you up because I think that's cool. And um, otherwise, Marty, thank you for having me. It is an absolute blast to be here and talk to people, or I guess you particularly, who uh, are on the same wavelength because all of the people out here that are in real estate literally think I am batshit crazy. So happy I don't to think, be here. I don't think you're batshit crazy, Kelly. I think you're I, I know you don't, Marty. That's you're like one of my favorite drinking buddies. So like <laughs> let's uh we're gonna we're gonna end this on a high high fun note. I'm uh I'm definitely looking forward to making another pilgrimage come out. Definitely owe you a drink. And uh howdy to all the other people in the uh, unchained office today in the Bitcoin comments building oh. all the cool stuff for the world. Justin Moon was broken to say hello to you, but I told him. Oh, we did. Uh, You know what? Every time I talk to him, he keeps telling me he's going to grow a mullet, and he hasn't done it yet. Oh, he hasn't. It's it's a full blown mullet. Oh, he does. Yes. Oh man. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to DM him and get a photo. Otherwise, we might have to have a competition. (laughs) That that was always the the end game for the long hair was I was going to do a a mullet, do my best uh, uh, Chad linebacker in high school look. But uh, I may uh, I may be past my prime, so it may just stick with the long locks. So, but otherwise, Marty, I'll, I'll stop talking. Thank you again for having me. Absolute blast to be on TFTC. Kelly, the pleasure was all mine. We have to make this. We can't have two years between recordings next time. We'll we'll have to do this more often, maybe twice a year. Increase. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep. I got like I said, I got three or four essays. I'm I'm pulling myself out of the essay rut, and uh, if I do. If I do a good essay or I have a funny joke about being woke or whatever that crap is that people believe and being wrong, then more than happy to come back. 
go sign up for the sub stack. Go take the survey monkey. Uh, what is it? Survey. Go to Bitcoin Urbanism. Substack.com. Yep. I pinned it to, uh, I pinned it to my Twitter profile. So it's there. All right. Stop tweet. All right. Go do all that freaks. Future is bright. Understand where we are right now though. Peace and love. The key.